There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's February 7th, 1497, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. We all enjoy a good clear out from time to time, but the massive heap of clothing, books, musical instruments and all manner of other items piled up in Florence's Piazza della Signoria today in history in 1497 was not the result of a post-Christmas declutter. Instead, it was a purge led by a radical priest who believed Florence could be the new Jerusalem if only it could rid itself of all that pesky gambling, sodomy and fornication. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because nothing says being on the right side of history like a huge pyre of burning books and artworks (laughs) overlooked as it was by a massive effigy of Satan. (laughs) So this was the event that became known as the Bonfire of the Vanities, and it was led by this quite radical preacher, Girolamo Savonarola. Uh, He got his followers to adorn themselves in white gowns and garlands and red crosses and go door to door collecting people's objects for burning. Yes. So it's Shrove Tuesday, 1497, which is the day before Lent, and traditionally in Florence was a day of carnival kind of end of days, Mardi Gras. You know, before we all get austere and God-fearing again, let's have one last bit of fun. Mm -hmm. That was traditionally what happened in Florence on this day. Something that Savonarola saw as gaudiness and lasciviousness and Mm -hmm. frippery. Uh, (laughs) And... So it was making a point to do it on this day. It was saying, instead of having the Bacchanalian fun, everyone, I'm going to send a bunch of adolescent thugs going around knocking on doors saying, hey, have you got anything you'd like us to destroy, please? Yeah, I mean, especially the young people, they kind of function like a morality police. They would Mm. be going around the streets checking for immoral behaviour because Savonarola wasn't just a popular priest. He was also, for a while, pretty much the default ruler of Florence. Mm. He wasn't actually eligible to be the ruler because it was only open to citizens of the city and he wasn't originally from there. And also he was a clergyman, which also made him ineligible. But he was functionally in charge of the city for a while and he used it to conduct this massive anti-vice campaign against pretty much anything fun, including drunkenness, gambling, fornication, immodest clothing. He even composed new songs to replace the traditional bawdy tunes that were sung during the carnival season. I mean, Savonarola's popularity really stemmed from the fact that he had claimed that he had been given these visions of God and specialised. he specialised in these real sort of fire and brimstone speeches that just struck a chord with people who were just exhausted by the endless wars that the city of Florence was having against the French. And I guess that people kind of had in mind, well, this guy is leading us to virtue and truth and simplicity and all of that. But as it turned out, the the rejection of the fripperies of the Renaissance also meant them giving up stuff that they did actually love and quite would have liked to hold on to. Well, yeah, it's convenient for him as well that these prophecies that he had included a conviction that Florence should become the centre of a spiritual regeneration of the Christian world, i.e. he gets to be Pope de facto. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, right. 
It took him a while to find his niche because it sounds like he was incredibly irritating with his really hard views <laughs> on everything. So he started out as a Dominican monk and he cloistered himself young, but he believed <laughs> he actually, for him, the monastery was not strict enough. Mm. And he irritated his superiors by complaining all the time that the monk should be living in a more austere way. He didn't that want crucifix to... is a bit colourful. Yeah. Burn it. <laughs> exactly. And he, the amount of times he was reassigned in his early career, you know, his hectoring apocalyptic style didn't go down well everywhere. But, you know, and as time went on, he started expanding his aim to criticise what he saw as a degeneration of the church. He was predicting disaster sent by God if the church didn't reform. And so you can see how some of this message would be really, really popular with the ordinary person. You know, he, he criticised the priests as being hypocritical and corrupt. And he also took aim at sort of at secular landlords, overlords. So he did end up gaining a bit of a following. And one of them happened to be Lorenzo the Magnificent, who is the Medici ruler of Florence at the time. And he brought him to the city in 1490, where he quickly became even more of a cult figure. I mean, the stuff that he was railing against does seem slightly absurd when you line it all up. Being overweight was one of his kind of pet peeves, which I suppose attaches to that idea of people eating too much fancy food. Yeah, it is. It's that. It also seems, obviously, to us from a modern perspective, a very strange way to view the beautiful art that was coming out of Florence at that time, to say that somehow... I don't know, capturing the beauty of the moon reflecting on the water or the torso of a human subject is somehow anti-God. Yeah. You know, whereas almost all of those artists were religious and felt that they were reveling in the appeal of the natural world and thereby celebrating God. He was like, no, you should just be doing devotional pictures. But he did have a point in that the art that he said he was heretical very often was portraiture, where it was seemingly devotional art but painted into it were the nobles who had commissioned the paintings. Yeah. Which is it's kind of like we were talking about in our episode about masks last week, where here in England, you know, playwrights and theatre designers had to follow the money and praise the king. Like, actually then in Florence, if you wanted to be an artist, you couldn't, you couldn't just paint a picture of Jesus anymore. You had to put in a picture of the bloke who commissioned it as well. And he was right that that's, I mean, maybe not blasphemous, but, like, definitely bad taste. Plus, you think of all of the um, depictions of quite sort of sexy, semi-clad Jesus that emerged around this time and, you know, Botticelli's Birth of Venus and all of that. Like, Botticelli got swept up in this and he had to throw some of his artworks onto these fires. You think about the artworks that were lost to us as well because yeah. of what happened on this day. It's, it's, I mean, it is tragic. But just to go back for a second, the way that Savonarola came to this position where he was able to enforce all of these rules in Florence was that in 1494, Charles VIII of France had invaded Italy and he was approaching Florence. He'd been doing a lot of sacking of the various cities that his army was passing on its way. And Savonarola personally went out to negotiate with him as he approached Florence. Uh, Living up to his nickname, the Affable, Charles did agree to spare the city based on his negotiations. And at the same time, Lorenzo the Magnificent's son, Piero, who was the ruler of Florence at the time, was being ousted by the populace. So this was a really good opening for Savonarola to become the de facto ruler. But what happened then was Pope Alexander VI formed an alliance called the Holy League that was supposed to be driving out Charles VIII and the French army. And Florence refused to join. You know, they didn't have any beef with Charles VIII. He'd actually done them a solid. So they didn't join the League. And so... Clearly, that didn't put them in a good light with the Pope. And Savonarola wouldn't stop with this campaign for church reform and calling out all of the hypocritical clergymen. It's rule one, isn't it? I think Mm. if you're a friar 
Don't yeah. tug off the Pope. Just don't do it. You're going to get yeah. in trouble with that. I mean, he never actually broke ties with the Catholic Church, but he did push the Pope over the edge in May 1497 when he called the church a whore and was excommunicated. Mm, he was also uh, preaching about the end of the world, which he had predicted was coming in 1500. I'm always baffled by these people who are willing to stick their neck out and go, it's coming and it's coming really quite soon. Like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. likely to be well, it around. It can't be too far away that you're not going <laughs> to... Three years seem like a reasonable time to get Botticelli throwing his works onto the fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the, in the end, he could have made as many promises about 1500 as he wanted because he wouldn't actually live to see it. He was mm-hmm. executed in 1498. All of this stuff with the Pope and being excommunicated had started to tip the Florentine government against him and he was now being seen as a bit of a loose cannon. Well, not just and that. He was invited to prove that he was a prophet by walking through fire publicly. Yes. And that day he was like, ah, I'm a bit busy actually. You've got some praying to do, sorry. <laughs> I've got other fires I've got to attend to. <laughs> yeah. well, apparently what happened was that a substitute volunteered to walk through fire for him but on the day itself (laughs) as you can imagine a big crowd had gathered because Savonarola had been kind of hinting that God was protecting him and that he might be able Mm. to perform miracles and trial by fire is obviously a classic way of testing whether God is protecting you but but on on the day itself it was delayed for hours and then there was a literal washout there was a downpour which made the whole thing impossible and that seemed to really turn the public against him as well they Mm. sort of saw him as a bit of a bit of a charlatan they probably had a bit of like Destroyer's remorse as well, didn't they? They're like three months later, they're like, I really like that painting. <laughs> they did. He he tried to organise further uh, bonfires after this big one that we're celebrating today. And the people were like, actually, no, I don't think we do want that. And then when they finally did decide to execute him, the way that they did it was to chuck him in the fire. Irony. Yeah, Yeah, specifically he was hanged over a fire along with two of his other monastic brothers. He had confessed to lying about his prophecies and his powers, but it was under torture. I'm saying that as though I believe that he actually could perform. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It was a very unpleasant end. Tomorrow. You know, all around the world, people were like, I'm too sexy for this meeting. I'm too sexy for this croissant. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.